0: It is Easter. The Easter season is upon us. And one of my uh, pet peeves about Easter is that we as Christians spend uh, a month or more at Christmas talking about Jesus' birth, which in Scripture takes up about this space, much space. I mean, the actual announce, I mean, the, the verses that tell us Jesus was born is only in Luke chapter 2. It's about two verses, but we spend weeks on it. The story of Easter takes up more than half of the gospel of Mark. Yet we try to squeeze it all into one week. And the story of Easter is the greatest story ever told. And so why do we try to squeeze it all into one week? So I'm not going to. I'm going to take a few weeks to tell you the story that you know so well. But I want us to look at it closer. And always we can learn more from it. And also as we know it better we can tell it better... To others. The story of Jesus' last week, the story of his passion, the story of Holy Week begins with a parade. This picture here is from one of the many parades that uh, the New England Patriots had in all their Super Bowl wins. I've already lost count how many Super Bowls they've won. But anyway, this is what this parade picture is from. Now, I've never been to a big parade in the city like this one. Uh, the only ones I've been in are in small towns, usually at Christmas or maybe on Fourth of July, and mostly the parade is church floats and the volunteer fire department, okay? And if it's not for those two things, then there's nothing in the parade. <laughs> and uh, we all the, the, the kids still love it because at least they used to. I think they've gotten away from it now, but they would throw candy out to the kids on the side of the street, uh, but I guess too many kids got too close. I don't know why parents just couldn't grab onto those kids, but they do get away from us sometimes, and... For safety reasons, the candy's uh, not thrown anymore. But that's the only experience I have with parades. But aren't parades whether they're small or whether they're big like this one you see on the picture. It is a time to celebrate. It's a time to say victory. Uh, if you can imagine times in our American history like when World War II was over and that parade must have been the parade of all parades because it's time to celebrate victory and it's time to celebrate what is going on in life at that moment. That's what a parade is for. And that's what we have when we come to Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21 is where we are today, a story that's familiar to you, but I want us to learn more from it today. It says in Matthew 21, when they approached Jerusalem, that's Jesus and his disciples, and came to Bethpage at the Mount of Olives, Jesus then sent two disciples telling them, Go into the village ahead of you. At once you will find a donkey tied there with her foal. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. Tell daughter Zion, See, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did just as Jesus directed them. They brought the donkey and its foal, then they laid their clothes on them, and he sat on them. A very large crowd spread their clothes on the road, Others were cutting branches from the trees and spreading them on the road. Then the crowds who went ahead of him and those who followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was in an uproar saying, Who is this? The crowds were saying, This is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth in Galilee. You know the story. We usually talk about it on Palm Sunday. and We give it that name because the crowd was cutting down uh, palm branches and laying them down for Jesus and laying down their clothes. And we sing songs about Hosanna and we talk about donkeys. And that's what we do on Palm Sunday. We know the story. But I want you to see that question that was asked by the city of Jerusalem. Who is this? And that is the most important question. Who is Jesus? Now, if I handed you a piece of paper, and this was a Sunday school class, and it was a quiz time, and the question was, who is Jesus? I imagine all of you would get the right answer. You all get 100 on it, okay? You write something down, he is Savior, or he is King, he is Lord, he is Son of God. You might have different answers. They'd all be right, I'm sure. So my purpose this morning isn't to convince you that those answers are correct because I believe that's what you already believe. But my purpose this morning is for you to understand how that should change your life. It's one thing to know an answer to a question. It's one thing to be able to write it down. It's another thing for it to impact your life, change your life, and influence your life. And we can learn that today from this story. Who is Jesus? I want you to think about the Romans. They probably thought Jesus was a joke. We're not told in the Gospels how Romans responded to Jesus' parade. But I imagine they probably thought it was a joke. The Romans were there because they were the rulers of Jerusalem and Judea. But they were especially there because this happened on the week leading up to Passover where about two million Jews would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, that ancient feast that had been celebrated for centuries by the Jews that commemorated when Moses and the Israelites left Egypt, when the lamb was slaughtered and the blood put her over the doorposts so that the angel of death passed over the houses. That's what they were there to celebrate. Because there were so many Jews coming there, the Romans had to bring extra soldiers. And they were always on edge that something may happen and the whole scene would turn into a riot and chaos. And it was their responsibility to keep order. So I imagine there were some Roman soldiers. There's also some Roman citizens there in Jerusalem. And as they saw this parade, compared to the parades of the Roman generals... They must have thought, what a joke. See, if you were a Roman general, and if you killed 5,000 soldiers, you got to have a victory parade. But you wouldn't be on a donkey. You were in a chariot. You had priests burning incense to you in front of you. Behind you, you had the captives, the prisoners of war that you had brought. You had the whole city, not just a crowd, a whole city singing your praises, applauding you. It ended with entertainment. Those prisoners of war were brought into the Colosseum and they had a play date with the wild animals there. Entertainment for the masses, death to the prisoners, applause for the Roman general who was victor. Compare that to a donkey and a man riding on it, and some folks singing Hosanna. That's why they probably thought, this is a joke. Maybe not even giving it a second thought. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, saw Jesus as a threat. In Luke's account of this story, the Pharisees say this. From the crowd, some of the Pharisees from the crowd told Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if they were to keep silent, the stones would cry out. The Pharisees saw this and they wanted to put an end to it. They saw Jesus as a threat because Jesus taught with authority. When they taught, they usually talked about who said what. Some rabbi said this, some other rabbi said this. But Jesus says, verily or truly, I tell you. He even would say, you have heard it said, but I tell you. That's authority. The people heard that teaching and they were attracted to it. Jesus came and did miracles and healed people and fed thousands and he had just raised Lazarus from the dead and the people saw it and they followed him and they wanted to be near him. They loved it. There weren't any Pharisees doing miracles. The Pharisees had the power. They had the religious influence and they had the positions and the degrees and they saw Jesus as a threat to all of that. Plus, they were jealous of his popularity and the people who were following him. They wanted to put a stop to it because he was a threat. They had been trying up to this point, but John's account of this story says this. The Pharisees said to one another, you see, you've accomplished nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. But they changed some tactics and were deciding even then, how they would kill him. They had decided they were going to wait till the commotion of the Passover. They didn't want to do it with all those people there and all of the potential problems. They didn't want a riot either. If there was a riot, they might lose their positions as the Romans would come in and and bring order. So they wanted to do this quietly. They wanted to do it after all of the hubbub and after everything had died down and people had gone home. That's when they wanted to take Jesus and to kill him. But the father had a different timeline because Jesus would be killed when the Passover lamb was slain. That's more of the story later. But these Pharisees saw Jesus as a threat. The people saw him as a prophet. In fact, when the city asked, who is this? Isn't that what they said? This is the prophet Jesus ...from Nazareth in Galilee? Why would the people think that He was a prophet? That's what Jesus had asked His disciples. Jesus asked them, who do people say I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah... ...still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. It's obvious why they thought He was a prophet. He was a teacher. He was a miracle worker. That's what prophets did. Prophets in the Old Testament spoke the Word of God. They taught the people what God wanted them to know and to live out in their lives. It was Elijah who did miracles. And here was another one coming and doing miracles and teaching. They reasoned, this is a prophet. If they knew any more or understood any more than that, we're not certain. We're not even certain how genuine that parade and that display of affection was that day. Jesus, until that point, had made it clear to His disciples, and especially early in His ministry, not to tell anybody who He was. But now was the time. Now was the time for Him to come to Jerusalem, for His disciples and His followers to greet Him, to praise Him. It was time to show the world who He really was. Did the crowd really understand? You see, some of the crowd was used to coming for the Passover. They said from Psalm 118, Hosanna. That means Lord save. It also became really a a a shout of praise like hallelujah. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But they said that every Passover... It's in Psalm 118, Psalms 113 through 118 were the psalms that they sang as they recited as they went to Jerusalem for the Passover. They were used to doing that. Also, just days earlier, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. People were still talking about that and were following Jesus because of what He'd done. You can imagine that. If He had just done that, what else could He do? What's going to happen next? They didn't want to miss it. So the crowd was made up of people following Jesus because of Lazarus. It was people from Galilee coming to the Passover like they'd done every year for years. So part of what they were celebrating and the excitement and the joy may have been the excitement and the joy of the moment or the yearly festival. And maybe they didn't really understand what it meant to say this is a prophet. Think about it today. There's people today who think Jesus is a joke. Say he's a legend, he's made up, he's a fantasy. People who believe in him are gullible. There's others who see him as a threat. Why do you think communist governments forbid Christianity? Because they see it as a threat to their power over the people. There's people today... Who say, yeah, Jesus, he's a prophet. You would ask almost the one billion Muslims in the world, and that's what they would give as an answer Jesus is a prophet. In fact, a lot like this one. He's like Elijah, he's like Muhammad, although Muhammad's better, <laughs> but he's a prophet. But Jesus is not a joke, and he's not a threat in the way that the Pharisees and world leaders believe he is. A sense, He's not certainly not just a prophet, he is Messiah and he is king. And I know that you could give me that answer. I want to tell you more about what that means. For the disciples even that day, and for the people that day, they really didn't understand fully what was happening. And that's understandable, because in the Old Testament, there was verses about the Messiah. But even some rabbis thought, well, there must be two Messiahs because these verses talk about Messiah as king, the Messiah who's ruling on the throne of David, the Messiah who restores Jerusalem, restores Judah. But there were other verses that talked about the Messiah suffering, especially Isaiah 53 that gives in great detail a servant who's suffering for the sin of the nation. It was even hard for them to figure out how this could be the same person. Maybe it's two people. And here was Jesus that day. He was certainly showing himself to be the king of the Jews. That's why he was riding on a donkey. That's how Jewish kings rode during peacetime. Matthew told us this fulfilled a prophecy. Zechariah 9.9, 9, Look, daughter of Zion, here comes your king. Riding on a donkey. Jesus was saying to the crowd, to the disciples, to the Romans, to the Pharisees, I am the King of the Jews. I am the Messiah. That's what he was proclaiming. The Romans probably didn't get it. The Pharisees certainly didn't want to believe it. And now I don't even know if the people understood exactly what was happening. The disciples had a hard time with it, but we're told in John that afterwards they understood it. His disciples did not understand these things at first. However, when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about Him and that they had done these things to Him. Afterwards, they were able to put it all together. That here is the Messiah. Here is the King of kings. Here is the Lord of lords. Our response to that should be the same as Thomas. In a different At the end of the story, when Jesus comes back, you know how Thomas said when he was told Jesus is alive, he said, I don't believe it. Not until I see Jesus will I believe it. Not until I touch the nail prints from his crucifixion, I'm not going to believe it. Well, Jesus did appear to him. And when Thomas saw him, he didn't even need to touch him. He knew when he saw Jesus, he was alive. And this is what Thomas said, my Lord... And my God. That's really the only response to the truth that Jesus is Messiah. That he is king. He is both the one who suffers for sin. And pays the penalty for sin. And he is the one who is king. Of the universe. King of the Jews. King of this earth. King of our lives. But how do we really respond to this truth that Jesus is King, He's Messiah, He's Lord of our lives. I want you to imagine if you were uh, in the water and drowning. As you think about that, even some of our songs, our hymns, talk about being saved from uh, our sin is like being saved from drowning. The word saved brings that to mind, doesn't it? You're in peril, you're in trouble, you need saving. And imagine you're there and and someone saves you. You go from a moment of panic to a moment of relief and a moment of rejoicing that your life has been saved. Some people who know that Jesus is Messiah, Lord, King, they believe it. And maybe, I can't judge because I don't know, maybe they have believed in Christ. But as I see their life, they get saved out of that water then they just go right back to where they were. Imagine you were uh, maybe you were drunk and that's how you fell into the water in the first place. Well you get rescued and then you just go back to the bar. Oh good, I'm not in the water anymore. Let's go back and drink some more. You know that, that that's how some people claim to be Christians live their lives. You know they'll say, I believe Jesus is King, he's Messiah, he's savior. Do you go to church? No. I don't need to do that. I can worship God anywhere on the golf course, in my house, at Cracker Barrel, you know, wherever. I can worship them there. I don't need to be at church. You know, you look at their life, and they're going after the same things everybody in the world's going after. They value uh, happiness for happiness' sake, and they value possessions, and they live their life as though uh, nothing that God values is what they value. When they talk about people who have gone to heaven Or someone in their family dies, they say, well, if anyone deserves to be there, she does. Because she was such a good person. And they say things like that, and you wonder, well, you say you're a Christian, but this is how you live and act? They may be a Christian, but if they are, all they did is got out of the water and went right back to where they were. Jesus isn't Lord of their life, isn't King of their life, even though they say they believe it. And our motivation for serving God shouldn't be this. I mean, you can imagine yourself being rescued and then you almost feel like, well, gosh, now I owe that guy something. You know, he saved my life. I guess I better do something for him. I, you know, I think a thank you note's probably not enough. Uh, you know, maybe I should give him a gift. Maybe uh, if he says to follow him, maybe I should out of obligation, for he did save me from drowning. That's not how we uh, think of God as king. It's not, oh, gosh, he saved me, so I guess now I've got to serve him and obey him or at least pretend like I want to you know that's not the motivation either what it should be is we've been saved out of that water then when you realize who has saved you you realize that it's the king who saved you so I know we, we as Americans don't like kings we got rid of the king and you know we don't want any more kings so maybe imagine it is I don't imagine it's the most important person in your life that you'd want to be with forever? I don't know. I still think thinking of this as the king is the better way. This is the king. So imagine maybe you're there at the dock and all you do all day is scale fish and this is your job, but now you've been rescued by the king. So now you get to live in the palace. Now you get to serve the king in his court. Now you get to have purpose and now you get to have position. Now you get the privilege of serving the king. That's how... Our lives should be like. Not just believe that Jesus saved us and go on with our life, nor believe that Jesus saved us and uh, we have to serve Him. Believe that Jesus saved us and now we have the privilege of serving the King. He is the Lord of our life, He is the King of our life. You know, Jesus is coming back one day. He came into Jerusalem as the King on a donkey. One day He's coming back to earth as a King. As a conquering victor on a white horse with an army behind him to bring justice once and for all and to establish his kingdom. There's no doubt that he is king. There's no doubt that he is savior. Does it make a difference in your life? Are you obeying the king, living for him? Or is it just a Sunday school answer on a piece of paper? Make it have a difference in your life father we thank you for our time this morning and i thank you jesus that you are king you are in control you give us purpose in life lord i pray that we would be obedient to you and humble ourselves before you and live for you i pray lord that also we would be thankful for our salvation I pray, Lord, for any who are here today who don't know you as Savior, that today would be their day of salvation. I pray, Lord, that we would leave here going into this week, Lord, with uh, complete obedience and following you. And I pray these things, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen.